Hi there. A warm, warm, warm welcome back to the Mom Pod. My name is Julia Wicklander, and for those of you who are listening for the first time, I am one of your hosts of this podcast. I'm also the founder of Girls Globe. The Mom Pod is your global podcast about all things related to maternal and child health, parenting, pregnancy, women's rights, and more. Our aim is to raise awareness of important issues as we also connect mothers and fathers across the world. The podcast is hosted on Girls Globe, where you can find all of our episodes in one place. The work that we're trying to do as midwives is piece women back together and um, provide trust and compassion and integrity, hold safe space for their stories, hold safe space for their bodies. We end up with midwives who are primarily from the local communities. They are there. They are part of the social fabric of the society. They give support to women whether they are in labor or not. So they are critical social solidarity players in the local communities, not only providers of health services for women and newborns. In our Sustainable Development Goal commitment, we are aiming to reach 600,000 health workers. That is a huge increase in the work that we've been doing. And of course, midwives feature predominantly in that promise. In this episode of The Mom Pod, we will speak to several people investing in the health of women, mothers, and newborns in the most difficult places in our world. We will hear from midwives working at the Mexican border in Somalia, and we will also speak to Dr. Mohamed Afifi, Program Specialist for Reproductive Health at the UNFPA Arab States Regional Office. Enjoy Marini, Lead for Global and Community Insights at Johnson & Johnson. In this episode, we also have the opportunity to listen to young midwife leader Masuma Jeffrey as she interviews the Canadian Minister of Health, Jane Philpott. My name is Chris Alonso, and I'm a midwife working in Mexico with the Luna Maya Birth Centers. Christina Alonso spoke at the Safe Birth Even Here event sponsored by the United Nations Population Fund at the ICM Congress. She spoke about the work she does with migrants at the borders in Mexico. And she explains to me that there are two borders, the southern one, where women are coming up from Central America. They are displaced because of drug violence, gang violence, or economic issues, trying to find their way to the U.S. The other border is the northern one, the border to the U.S., that has been shut down in a way we have never seen it shut down, creating a traffic jam of people. Communities of migrants have exploded. In Tijuana, we went from having eight safe houses to 36 in less than a year. They're all opened by NGOs, by churches, just, you know, by people who are providing safe space for migrants to stay um, as they try to figure out if they're going to cross or if they're going to stay in Mexico. So added to that, 
Uh, migration is changing. It's becoming more and more female. It used to be that women stayed at home while their men, while the men went up to the U.S. and worked and sent money down. And now women are migrating and children are migrating. And when women migrate, they're trafficked, they're raped, they're they become pregnant. They don't get care. Um, they're afraid. They're afraid of doctors. They're afraid of authorities. They're afraid of asking for help because they could be deported. They're afraid of asking authorities for help because they could be raped. So there's a lot of confounding issues. You know, these, these the, the problems pile up and the identities pile up. And so the work that we're trying to do as midwives is piece women back together and um, provide trust and compassion and integrity, hold safe space for their stories, hold safe space for their bodies so that um, they can not just get health care, but just have a, a place and a setting and a provider who's going to be trustworthy and compassionate and is going to provide integrity for everything that she's going through. So tell me, how many, are you enough midwives? And do you have the support you need to do your work? We're not. Um, we don't have enough midwife schools um, in Mexico. We have three technical level schools, one university, direct entry university program, and we have about eight nurse midwifery programs. And um, it's estimated that if all students graduated, we could graduate about 850 midwives a year. But there's more than two million births a year in Mexico. And then on top of that, if you know specifically if we're going to look at the migrating women and the safe houses, we need midwives that are clinically and technically very skilled because the women have not gotten um, prenatal care. They're malnourished, they're dehydrated, they're in high stress situations. So you'll often get women with very high blood pressure, with glucose issues, you know, just all kinds of issues. So you have to have a very good clinical eye. And on top of that, you have to be deeply resilient and strong as a human being because you're going to listen to stories that are beyond heartbreaking there, and there's not much you can do about it. You know, mm. it's, it's the, the injustice is profound, and there, there is no authoritative body who's willing to take on you know, any kind of legal recourse for migrating women. So there's a lot of confounding factors that um, make it complicated. So we need more midwifery schools, and we need more continued education for midwives, both things. You know, education is something that happens your whole life, right? <laughs> so where do you get the strength and the hope to, to continue your work when it can almost feel hopeless and you hear all these stories and you know the borders are closing and the support is not there how do you find the strength and the, and the hope to continue your work from the women the women give us the hope and the strength it's the women that have you know the sparkle in their eye there is a beautiful story of a woman in La 72 in, in Tabasco she she migrated, she was raped, and she had the baby. And when she was at La 72, she was able to heal herself, heal her birth story, which is, was also very traumatic, and discovered that she was in love with women, and she found her true love in La 72. And so now they're saying, you know, they realize that they're not going to make it north, they're not going to make it across, and they're building a family together. And these are the stories that make it worth it. You know, 
and I'd certainly say that in the safe houses community does happen even if it is for a week even if it is for a month but it's those communities it's those stories and it's you know the, the women they keep their eye on the goal they keep their eye on the future and and they keep moving on and I think that's where we find the strength and we find the strength through each other through community mm. yeah fantastic and so what is your call to action? So we're, you know, we have global leaders listening and we have um, people who are here at the policy level, um, private sector. What is your call to action to, to donors and others, um, your main message of, of what you need? I think we need to name the invisible. And the issue that I'm speaking of today is invisible. Um, Mexico would never be considered a humanitarian crisis. <laughs> We never would consider migrating women from Central America going through and getting stuck at the northern border of the U.S. a humanitarian issue. And we certainly haven't labeled it a sexual and reproductive health or rights issue. So we need to put a name on that so that we can put a price tag on that. We need funds. We, um, we want to be able to hire midwives in the safe houses. So a lot of the safe houses have a physician that works 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And um, women need care all the time. Rape happens at night and birth happens at night. So we need skilled, compassionate staff available 24 hours a day in the safe houses. Um, the Mexican government is not willing to put the funds up because, again, this isn't their problem. These are migrants. migrants. They're going through the country. They're not Mexican citizens. So we really need to put a name on migration and... Um, start to frame it as a public health issue. You know, they're not refugees and they're not citizens, they're migrants. And they are real people that have real public health problems. So um, I think if we actually start getting some real research on it, because it's a hidden problem, we don't, we're not very sure about the numbers. How do you count migrants? It's very difficult to count. Um, and really start to track what exactly is going on so that we can provide solutions. It's hard to provide solutions to problems that don't exist. Mm. So the more that we make this visible, the more creative minds can come together and find comprehensive solutions. And my last question to you is, is sort of as an individual myself and, and others who are listening who might not have you know, um, the funds or, or decision-making power, but they care and, and want to do something, do you have something um, to recommend that others can do to support your work? I think we need to become aware of the layers of policy, um, you know, specifically when we're looking into... U.S. immigration policy, we need to really consider the stories behind those policies. Um, shutting down the U.S. and closing the borders when the migrants are living awful situations of drug violence, of kidnapping, of harassment. Um, I'm not sure where we're expecting those people to go. I also, I'm not sure where we're expecting um, the worker, you know, the, the workforce in the U.S. If we shut down the border and we don't allow Central American and Mexican migrants in, what's going to happen to the U.S.? So I think just really becoming more aware of the issues, becoming more aware of the face of migration. Also, we tend to believe that it's men who are coming to work our fields, 
and I think really understanding that it's families, it's entire families, it's children, it's women, and um, becoming aware of what it means to be responsible for your actions. You know, where do you buy your food? <clears throat> where do you buy your clothing? You know, how are you voting? I think that as as um, individuals, we we each can can make choices that'll make the world a better place and a safer choice. Next, we will listen to young midwife leader Masuma Jaffrey from Afghanistan, who had the opportunity to interview Jane Philpott, the Canadian Minister of Health, and ask her what action Canada is taking to support midwives in Afghanistan. Actually, it's uh, somehow it's a question and maybe request. Uh, you know, the maternal mortality in Afghanistan is rising again, mm. unfortunately, and we need to. Mexico policy city, the funding reduction. I don't know, is it possible for Canada, the um, EU to somehow to help the Afghan migrants or the Afghan sons? Well, so, so first of all, um, it, it's very obviously concerning to hear that you're having rising rates of maternal mortality. This is a huge concern in many parts of the world, and I'm sorry to hear that it's getting worse again. And, Afghanistan. Um, what I can do is um, connect you with my uh, colleague who's the Minister for International Development who is responsible for um, our work uh, internationally and um, I don't know for sure what opportunities would be there but our, uh, you know, one of our priorities in terms of our international work is around the needs of women and girls so um, you never know. I will put you in touch with Minister Bibo and see if there's anything that can be done. Thank you so much. And then another uh, question is regarding the higher education. As I know, the Canada has a very, very good background in midwifery education, and you had a great system in place. But for Afghanistan, it's very new, and now just uh, one year before we started the bridging program, which is uh, a bridge between diploma level to bachelor degree, mm -hmm. and we're searching for the country who could technically support us to expand the programs and mm -hmm. to have a connection with each other. We try to communicate with our Canadian advice here, and somehow it's needed to have a connection between both government and to see mm -hmm. how we can find the room to collaborate and to work. Uh, you know, the, the key for the reduction of the maternal mortality is the midwives, but mm -hmm. with a career test opportunity, we might have lost the midwives. You know who else I would suggest reaching out to, in addition to, as I said, we can help you make connections with uh, our international development folks in government, but um, the other good partners sometimes for training are academic partnerships. So, uh, for example, University of Toronto, McMaster University and Ryerson, and Ryerson and Laurentian. I would suggest reaching out to some of those universities that have midwifery programs here because mm -hmm. often they are very interested in working with international colleges and universities and um, supporting faculty development in colleges and universities internationally which might be a, a natural way so maybe there's some while you're here 
it would be worth seeing if there's people that are teaching in any of those programs. Um, I had the chance to be involved in a partnership for family medicine training in Ethiopia with the University of Toronto was involved in. And I know that University of Toronto is very interested in those kind of international partnerships. So something on midwifery might be a great opportunity. So Thank it would be worth checking into that. Thank you for the okay. guidance. I am uh, Mohamed Afifi, I'm the Regional Reproductive Health Specialist for uh, UNFPA in the Arab States Regional Office. In the region, a couple of years ago, uh, UNFPA led an exercise to assess the human resource situation for uh, maternal, neonatal, and child health in the region. And interestingly, we found from the analysis that was done in 13 Arab countries that well-trained midwives can deliver up to 95% of the services required. So this is a crucial part also to achieve what we are calling in the SDGs era, universal health coverage. So the role of midwives is pretty much critical and it's very clear and this is an important cadre of health professionals which if well invested in and empowered, they will deliver a good job and help the whole world achieve universal health coverage. But unfortunately, as a result of the conflict that is going on several countries, uh, Libya, Syria, Yemen, and uh, some parts uh, of other countries as well, there are uh, instabilities. And this is not only affecting the countries that are going through the conflict, but neighboring countries as well, because it leads to uh, migration, refugees cross the borders, or within the same territory, they are uh, IDPs, internally displaced persons, which places additional burden on the already weak system, or on the host country if they cross the border to other countries. We conducted a, an analysis last year in six countries that are uh, described as fragile settings, whether they have an actual conflict or these are the repercussions of earlier conflicts that the country has gone through. And again, the evidence was showing that it's midwives who stay there. When the conflict hits the place, several cadres of the health professionals flee the space, they go to other countries, they leave their posts for various understandable reasons, of course. But we end up with midwives who are primarily from the local communities. They are there, they are part of the social fabric of the society. They give support to women whether they are in labor or not. So they are critical social solidarity players in the local communities, not only providers of health services for women and newborns. Mm -hmm. And a natural follow-up question is, is why? Why do these midwives stay when others are fleeing and, and leaving the country? Have you, do you have any idea? You know, uh, my personal interpretation of this is that normally, and I don't know why, because midwives, uh, probably it's a global phenomenon or it's part of the desire to become a midwife is that you want to give back to your society. And midwives are special people really that probably we need to talk to them more and understand more about this motivation. But from my experience with midwives in the Arab region, also from my readings, midwives most of the time are from the local communities. So 
if there are schools available in their localities, they go to middle school there. If not, we support them so they move to the capital or wherever is the closest and most convenient place. They finish their training and they prefer to go back to their societies. It's part of being a midwife. It's the character of a midwife that she or he wants to pay back and give back to their local communities and to show this hand of support to them, those in need. That's fantastic. What impact does this, the displacement of, of people, the migration streams, the health systems collapse, although midwives stay, what, what have you seen as the impact on maternal, newborn, and child health in the Arab region? Now things are going back. The situation is worsening as a result of the conflict. A clear example for this that I recall is Yemen. Yemen showed significant improvements in maternal mortality prior to the ongoing conflict, but now the indicators are going back again. And I believe it would be the same in other countries that are having similar conditions as well. So what we are hoping for, and what this is what we are advocating for in every possible situation, that midwives are considered as key for resilience of the health system and social resilience as well. Midwives are normally part of the local community. They are well respected. They are also perceived as a source of reliable health information. And this is something that we are trying to improve and to make sure that midwives has the visibility that they deserve, that they are empowered, they are well respected in their societies. They are well paid, they are included as a professional cadre in the payrolls of ministers of health because this is a challenge in several countries. They are temporary employees, so they are not part of the formal structure of the respective ministries of health. So I would like to call on ministers of health and on all partners in the international uh, society, regional level or country levels to see that there is an important cadre of health professionals that did not get the attention that it deserves. And this cadre is critical to achieving universal health coverage and to really leaving no one behind, which is the motto of the SDGs. We will now hear from Emily Dennis, who is an international midwifery specialist working in Somalia with UNFPA. She was interviewed at the ICM Congress by Girls Globe blogger Mia Udholt. I work with the United Nations Population Fund, the UNFPA, and working on the development of midwifery in Somalia. Emily starts off by introducing us to the situation of maternal and newborn health in Somalia. She informs us that there is an enormous shortage of midwives, that the country needs 22,000 midwives, Yet, with the population growth rate, the country will need to increase the amount of midwives even more. Somalia has a fertility rate of 6.8 babies per woman. She informs us that the workload is enormous for any midwife working in the country, and that the challenge is even greater with the large amounts of rural communities and nomadic populations, not to mention the ongoing conflict. It's not that they don't want to become midwives. The civil war lasted for over 20 years. So the pre-existing midwives that lived there um, emigrated to other countries um, or passed away in the conflict or naturally came to the end of their working lives. So it was a matter of identifying where midwives are, um, where midwives are most needed, and uh, starting to train them to the right level of competency 
Emily reinforces the need for midwifery education, but also for girls' education in general in the country. With a high literacy rate, there are many women who are just not able to pursue further education in the country. And furthermore, families need to prioritize to send their girls to school. Poverty is a burden on the country, and it discriminates against girls and women who are more likely to be at home in charge of household chores than to work outside the home. I think with the increasing numbers of midwives, they are gaining strength and they are gaining the recognition from the government, from communities. Uh, families are starting to say, I want a midwife, uh, which is a really big change. Emily continues to explain that the trend is a positive one. As the use of traditional birth attendants has led to very high levels of maternal mortality and very high levels of female genital mutilation, she hopes to see a continued growth in midwifery networks where midwives can support each other in their work. The fact that uh, midwives are growing, they build up a network of midwives to support each other, to work together, to keep increasing the midwifery agenda within the country and making sure that we can reach as many surviving mothers and as many surviving families as possible. I also had the opportunity to speak with Joy Marini at Johnson & Johnson. She moderated a panel at the Safe Birth Even Here event at ICM, and as a company, they have invested in UNFPA's campaign and are committed to delivering care to women and children on the front lines. Hello, Julia. So glad to be here. When I think about the MDGs, I think about successes, but I, all think, I also think about what we left behind. And the, and the people who were left behind are the 1.5 billion people who live in fragile and conflict-affected states. And in order to reach the sustainable development goals, we are going to have to reach the people in the farthest corners of the earth and in the most difficult places to work. One of the new things that we're doing is an initiative with the UNFPA. This is an initiative focused on Haiti and Liberia to ensure that we have conditions that are good for mothers to have uh, children. We have good uh, perinatal care, antenatal care, um, and that we have a strong midwifery um, workforce who are compensated well, who have strong educations, and are able to care for the mothers and babies in their communities. This is a part of what is called the Safe Birth Even Here campaign. This means that no matter where you are in the world, you have a right to have a safe birth and to have someone attending your birth and supporting you. The Safe Birth Even Here campaign is a campaign started by UNFPA that is sort of an umbrella for private sector to come together and do this kind of work. Working in a fragile and conflict-affected state is often difficult for private sector. It's very hard to have a sustainable or scalable program. We have to look at this as um, an investment in the future, and we have to think of new ways to work in these contexts. So 
I'm going to ask you why again. So why is Johnson & Johnson involved? I, at another event yesterday, you were talking about investments often being made from the heart, and then you see the data. When there is little data, when there is almost no data about migration, and, and humanitarian settings are very unstable, as you say, and it's difficult for the private sector, why is Johnson & Johnson getting involved? Johnson & Johnson has a, a huge and bold sustainable development goal commitment. In order to meet that commitment, we are going to have to tackle these really tough issues. So what we do is when we look at all of the body of work and the body of our partnerships, we think about balancing to include things that are uh, maybe a little more direct in terms of how we're measuring, what kind of social impact we can have, and things that might be a little tougher. Um, one of the things also that a friend of mine from Liberia said to me, we were having a conversation one night, and we were talking about fragile and conflict-affected states. He is a Liberian. And he said, I wish we could come up with another word because we don't see ourselves like that. He said, I, as a Liberian, do not see myself as someone from a fragile state. And it really opened a door um, in that conversation to think about promise and opportunity and future instead of how many challenges there are. And in the, at the end of the day, strong human resources, healthy mothers, always means that you're going to have a healthier community and a healthier economy. Hmm. And today we've heard stories from midwives that are working in many, many difficult humanitarian settings um, across the globe. So can you give us an example of, of the impact that Johnson & Johnson is having and what you're actually doing to support midwives like, like those we've heard today? Johnson & Johnson is very committed to those who are on the front lines at the heart of delivering care. In our Millennium Development Goal commitment, we reached 485,000 health workers, of which 100,000 were midwives. And when I say we reached, what I mean by that is that we provided skills and education. And this is everything from a full certification of midwifery, sometimes taking three years, um, to in-service education, training on something very specific um, that perhaps is a gap in skills and knowledge. In our Sustainable Development Goal commitment, we are aiming to reach 600,000 health workers. That is a huge increase in the work that we've been doing, and of course, midwives feature predominantly in that promise. One of the innovations that was introduced at the Safe Birth Even Here event was the Safe Delivery app, a smartphone application that provides midwives with direct and instant access to evidence-based and up-to-date clinical guidelines on basic emergency obstetric and neonatal care. It can serve as a training tool both in pre- and in-service training and equips birth attendants even in the most remote areas with a powerful on-the-job reference tool and it contains four basic features, animated instruction videos, action cards, drug lists, and practical procedure instructions. 
All features and functions of the app are designed for low literacy, low income settings and work completely offline once the app is downloaded. When scanning the room that was packed full of midwives, I realized that there was an enormous interest in the app and in more ways to support and train midwives working in low resource and humanitarian settings. To find out more about the app, go to maternity.dk or download the Safe Delivery app, which is free from your Google Play or on the App Store. During the ICM Congress, Johnson & Johnson launched their new initiative, the Gen H Challenge. This exciting opportunity hopes to encourage midwives to see themselves as innovators with the power to help to create the healthiest generation in human history, Gen H. The Gen H Challenge is looking to discover brand new ideas from the front lines of care that can change the trajectory of health. The competition welcomes ideas in their earliest stages and it welcomes small ideas that have the potential to create great impact. You can apply anytime until the 4th of October, 2017. Full guidelines are available at genhchallenge.com. We hope to see many new innovations to support midwives working on the front lines in humanitarian settings and for our politicians to understand their responsibility to safeguard the lives of women, children, and families across our world. Find out more about UNFPA's campaign Safe Birth Even Here at safebirthevenhere.org. The campaign aims to raise awareness of the high rate of maternal deaths in emergency situations and increase support for services to protect the rights of women and girls in humanitarian and fragile settings. During the next five years, the campaign aims to bring you news and updates from people and leaders from around the world to ensure safe birth even here in emergencies. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mom Pod. See you again in two weeks. In the meantime, you can find all of our coverage from the ICM Congress under our live page on girlsglobe.org. You can also find all of our episodes of The Mom Pod on girlsglobe.org under podcasts and on SoundCloud and iTunes. And a kind reminder, remember to follow Girls Globe and The Mom Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Take care of each other.